appreciate uh, the worship team and all that uh, we've been through this morning, joining our voices together to worship God, led in song. This morning we're going to talk about when heaven went silent. You know, the book of Revelation tells us about God's plan to wrap up this age that we're living in right now and how he will usher in the next age, which will turn into the eternal kingdom of Christ. Now, part of that wrapping up this age is God's dealing with sin and wickedness. Now, God is completely holy, the Bible tells us. He is completely without sin, separated from sin. <clears throat> and he is the judge of the universe, the judge of humanity. And he must judge sin according to his perfect, holy, sinless nature. Now, that right there is not good for us, except out of his love, he sent his son to take on for our sins. And so everyone who humbly comes to Jesus Christ, turns to him for forgiveness, admitting our sin, that there's no way we could make it to heaven on our own because we've sinned, and we come to Christ and accept the fact that he died on the cross and his death on the cross paid for our sin if we come to him truthfully, honestly, and he will cleanse us and declare us righteous according to his righteousness. We will receive his righteousness because he took on our sin. And the Bible tells us that a time is coming when Christ will return to this earth and he will save the righteous, and that will be those who are forgiven. The righteous are the ones who were sinners and we gave our sins over to Christ. And he will judge the wicked, those who won't turn to him. And that is what we have in the book of Revelation. It's God letting us know how he will handle the end of this age, this current age that we're living in. And part of that handling is, like we said, God's wrath upon sin at the end time. God's holy nature is wrathful against sin. And, <clears throat> you know, we may have a hard time accepting that as human beings, that God is wrathful against sin, but his nature is completely holy, and that's just the way it is in truth, is that he has to punish sin. Thankfully, he gave us a way for our sin to be taken care of. Now, we have said that the book of Revelation has three series of end-time judgments. They're called the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. Each judgment, each series of judgments gets more intensified is more intensified than the one before it. And that first set of judgments, the seal judgments, <clears throat> that had to do with the scroll that contained God's plan for taking back his creation from those who hijacked it and used it for evil. Now that scroll had seven seals holding it closed. And they had to find the person who was worthy enough to break the seal so that the scroll could be opened and God could start his plan to bring the world to justice. But they couldn't find anybody who was worthy to break the seals. 
Nobody was sinless. Nobody had the right or the worth to break the seals. And then Jesus walked up. And he was the one worthy to break the seals because he was righteous and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And so he took the scroll from his father's hand and he broke each seal one at a time. And as each seal was broken, this is all in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> so it's, a lot of it is symbolic. Each seal unleashed a, uh, an aspect of God's judgment upon the earth against the wicked. And what we've seen as we look through these seals, in the first seal, a warrior king was set out to conquer nations. The next seal, there was another warrior given power to take peace from the earth and killing, rampant killing was going on across the earth. This is all the scenery that John the Apostle was seeing as God was revealing to him how the end times would, would play out. Then there was the seal with the rider on a horse and famine spread across the land. And prices went up where people couldn't even afford food. And then there was this rider on the horse named Death and Hades following close behind him. And a fourth of the earth was killed by the sword and famine and plague and wild beasts. And the fifth seal showed the souls of the martyrs under the altar, and they were begging God, they were crying out to God, when will you avenge our blood? These are the people, like we saw this martyr, these are the people who died in the name of Christ, living for Christ, ministering for Christ, claiming Christ as their Savior, and killed for that reason. So the mighty and the powerful of the earth, well, actually the sixth seal, there are seven seals, the sixth seal was open and this great earthquake started and creation started kind of crumbling. Things were falling from the sky, things on the ground were crumbling apart, the mighty of the earth, the prominent, the kings, the rulers, the powerful, they were running and seeking seeking shelter. They said, shelter us from the lamb and the wrath of the lamb that's coming after us. And so it was kind of like the end time judgment. John was seeing this in a vision. The end time judgment when all those who just, you know, ruled over everybody else in an evil way and did not pay attention to God and did not listen to God, now the judgment's coming upon them. And this is all that John is seeing as he looks towards the end time and God is showing him what's going to happen. And then he saw this gigantic multitude of people from every nation, tribe, language, and people standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And he sees this multitude there as he's kind of looking up into heaven. And they were wearing white robes, which was given to champions. And they were holding palm branches, which is a sign of celebration. So here they were these people, this multitude of people, and they were champions, and they were celebrating. <clears throat> they were praising God and the Lamb with exuberant voices. And the angels of God and heavenly creatures join in in praising God. 
And John was just seeing all this major celebration. And then he finds out who these people were. And these people were people who had gone through the great tribulation at the end of time. When people were hunted down and killed. And those that, that believed in Christ were chased down and killed. And it says they had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So they'd given their lives for Christ. And he saw a picture in heaven that was going to be, you know, a picture of the future when they would be there <clears throat> and they would be rejoicing and praising God because he had rescued them. Well, they gave their lives actually, but he took them to their eternal home where they would be celebrated forever and they would celebrate God forever. Now, in the last two verses of chapter 7, which we looked at last week, it shows these who were in the great tribulation and had given their lives for Christ. And here's what it says. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, and that's Christ, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's their eternal uh, reward for staying true to Christ. They are going to now be living with Christ forever, and he will be their shepherd. <clears throat> and so now in chapter 8 of Revelation... We come to the opening of the seventh seal. The seven seals were the first set of, of uh, judgments upon the earth. And the opening the seventh seal, when it breaks the seventh seal, it will allow the scroll to fully open, which will lead us into the next phase of God's end time plan for the earth. So I want you to follow along with me as I read from Revelation chapter 8 and the first five verses. And this is Jesus Christ opening. He's the only one who is worthy to open. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, when Christ opened the other six seals on this scroll, and the scroll is God's plan for regaining, you know, for uh, claiming back his, his earth, which was hijacked by evil. When he opened the other six scrolls, immediately action happened. You know, riders on horses going out and killing and all that stuff that I mentioned. But here, it's all different. He says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's this, you know, absolute, complete difference from all the other seals. And it's just this silence. And everybody's just waiting, kind of like breathless. There's this expectation. There's this awe. Like, okay, God is up to something major here. Really big. And as we go on reading, it says... John, this is the Apostle John as he's seeing these visions. 
It says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And that's going to be the next set of, of judgments on the earth, the trumpet judgments. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, that's what they put the, uh, what do you call it? Incense. <laughs> the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake and an earthquake. <clears throat> so, there were these angels, these seven angels that were giving trumpets, given trumpets. But he says another angel had a censer where he was going to offer the incense, and he uses this censer to offer the incense to God as a worship of God, but also with the prayers of God's people going up to heaven. The prayers are going up to God. Then he takes that censer, that other angel takes that censer, fills it with fire from the altar, hurls it on the earth, and it creates thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and even an earthquake. It's as if God is responding to the prayers of his people. And so he offers the, the prayers and the incense to God. The fire's thrown on the earth. Everything breaks loose. And you know, one thing that we see here is, is the effectiveness of the prayers of God's people. And I would say that especially effective are the prayers of those who are suffering for him. All of our, our prayers, giving in, in, in sincerity, are effective. But when we're really giving our lives for him, suffering for him, they're, they're extra effective, it seems, from this. When we're fully devoted to him. And when the prayers go up, <clears throat> the sweet smell of sacrifice and dedication and love is a pleasing aroma to God. God really cares about us. Sometimes we think if we're suffering and if things are bad and we're going through and we're, we're hanging on to Christ, sometimes we think, God, don't you, don't you see what I'm going through? He does. And that suffering is extra special to him. And it leads me to ponder on how much, you know, as we're looking at this, and we're seeing these things that are happening in heaven that we don't see. John has seen a vision of this. And these are things that we never see. We don't see those prayers going up. And we don't see the angel throwing them down and that sort of thing. But it leads me to think how much we really don't know about what God is planning to do for us. And he does it in his timing. And it's not... It's almost never in our timing, is it? But there's things that we can see as we look at this 
as we see these visions that John is seeing, and there's things that we can see that God really has it all under control, and he is doing things for us, and he's planning big things for us to, to reward us and to save us. When we are serious about serving him, pleasing him, following in his ways, and we're offering our prayers to him, and our prayers are not going, you know, they're not worthless. They're not in vain. He's gathering them up. And that's what the angel threw down and caused all this, the destruction towards those who were being evil. We turn to him for special help. Often we don't see the answer right then when we turn to him. And sometimes even when we pray to him and we turn to him in sincerity, things may even get worse for a while. But how many times is it that God is working things out according to our prayers? And maybe not according to our timetable, and maybe not according to the way that we have imagine that he would work out this prayer answer. And many times, probably most of the time, he is answering our prayers in a much bigger, better way than we are hoping. That will do so much for us rather than the tiny little picture that we had with our prayers. I think this is all showing us that. It's giving us a glimpse into the things that we never see. And all that to say is that we often see in the Bible God working as we look into the scriptures and it it reveals things to us. We see God working in a much bigger and better way or plan than the person is actually praying for. So John the Apostle is seeing that God is seriously responding to the prayers of his people as they are staying faithful to him in very difficult circumstances. And now we're going to read through the trumpet judgments to see how God is going to punish the people who are mistreating his people, his children. And remember during this, these judgments that those people, and we're going to see this, they have every chance to turn from their wickedness and turn to God in repentance. But let's read through this. In chapter 8, verses 6 through 12, it says, Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. You know, trumpets were always used for real important matters, to call people to war, to call people to special celebrations, you know, to announce a special announcement. But trumpets were used to get everybody's attention and get everybody going in the same direction. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet. Oh, they were also used, you know, to to call people to go to war. First angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. These are the trumpet judgments coming upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. 
A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. So it's a very measured judgment. A third, everything's a third. These are the second set of seven judgments. So you have a third of the earth burned up, trees and green grass, a third of the sea turning to blood, a third of the sea creatures dying, a third of the ships being destroyed, a third of the waters turning bitter, you can't even drink it, and the lights of the sky are dimmed, to say the least. Now these first four trumpet judgments are directed at nature, as we can see. All directed at things of nature. And they're similar to some of the plagues that God brought upon Egypt when he struck Egypt with those plagues to defeat Pharaoh. And they show that Yahweh alone is the one who is on the throne. He is calling all the shots. He is taking all the action. Now, people... Today, and probably all through history, they work very hard to try to convince themselves that God, the God of the Bible, does not exist. And I think the ones who say it the loudest are maybe the ones who are just trying to convince themselves the most. And they would rather hire a God or create a God, and this is what you know this passage is talking about. <clears throat> They would rather hire or create a God who lets them set their own moral standards. God doing this, all this stuff with nature, shows that he is the one who controls their means of living and even their survival. You know, the waterways were their lifelines. And so God is showing them where the true power comes from and where their life comes from. And they're trying to say he doesn't exist, and they're, they're worshiping idols and all of that. Now, <clears throat> when I think of trying to get around God and not going by his, um, you know, his ways that we see in the Bible, I couldn't resist bringing this, this up that's happened recently. And I'm sure many of you heard that... Um, There's one very prominent uh, Catholic politician who was recently told by her archbishop that she was no longer allowed to take communion because of her very public, strong stance for abortion. And so he thought that wasn't right for her to take communion being in that kind of a state. So another very prominent female celebrity responded to this by saying about the archbishop, who does he think he is? 
I couldn't believe it. Uh, she goes, this is her private decision. He has none of, it's none of his business. You know, an archbishop is, is the head over a bunch of bishops in, in the same area, so they have this, you know, religious authority in the Catholic Church. <clears throat> uh, and this, this, this celebrity lady said, you know, she may belong to that religion, but you choose your own standards. <laughs> I, I couldn't get over that. Anyway, I only bring it up because I believe it touches on what we are looking at here and what we see in our society too. These people who are on this receiving end of God's judgments, these trumpet judgments against nature, they have rejected the true God of heaven. And they have chosen gods of their own choosing and their own making so they can do the things that they want to do and not really have to answer to anybody outside themselves. Because the gods of their own making, when we make gods of our own making, they always agree with all the choices that we make and all the moral stands that we take. These people don't want to bow down to a God who demands righteousness and repentance for sin and coming to Christ and accepting his terms of forgiveness and becoming his follower. They don't want to do that. They want to set their own terms of righteousness. And they're feeling that if I go, if I, if I <clears throat> believe in the true God and go to Christ, it's not going to get me what I want. So they choose gods of their own. And you know, I can relate to that. That's the kind of thinking I had before I became a Christian. That's the thinking so many people have before they become Christians. You kind of make up your own rules, and even though you hear rules out there, you think, well, I believe this, and it just kind of fits what you already want anyway. But as God strikes these natural disasters, their natural resources with these disasters, he's telling them that their game of charades is coming to an end. Because, see, we're talking about the end times here. God's showing John what's going to happen in the end times. When it's time to, you know, fish or cut bait, right? Now, I want you to watch as John moves onto the fifth angel sounding his trumpet. It's in uh, verses 13 through 9, no, 13 into chapter 9. <clears throat> he says... As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the three other angels, the other three angels. So he's saying there's some bad stuff coming. <clears throat> the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. This, this seems to be some heavenly creature that does God's bidding. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given the power like that of scorpions 
of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That's the way God marks off his servants to give them protection. They were not allowed to kill them. These, these locusts were not allowed to kill the people, but only to torture them for five months. And that's the, the lifespan of a locust. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. So this star falls from the heavens. This star is probably some divine agent, servant of God, like an angel. He's given a key to open the abyss, and the abyss <clears throat> was the name, or in the abyss was the name given to the underground abode of demons, demonic creatures. And now comes this thick, dark smoke that darkens the sky and blocks the sunlight, and locusts come out of the smoke, and they're ordered by God not to harm the grass, plants, or trees, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So these locusts, who sting like scorpions, are attacking these unbelievers, these people who will not turn to God, who keep rejecting Him, who've turned down all of His offers, but they're not harming the believers or the plants, trees, or grass. And they are causing severe pain to those who are rejecting God. And the people want to die, but they, they can't go there. They can't die. And so we're seeing, you know, this is all end-time stuff. And all through life, you know, <clears throat> believers, well, in so many instances, believers were the ones being punished by those who had power. And now God's turning the tables. And it shows us how much God is in control. He has heavenly servants and creatures doing his bidding. God has nature doing his bidding. He calls it out and it happens. He has all events, time to do exactly what they need to do and when they need to do it and what needs to take place. Now, that's what we're finding out as we look here. We're finding out how God has complete control, and he's doing the, his exact plan at the exact time. And, you know, that's so helpful for us because we can question God whether he really has everything under control. You know, we're praying to him. We're suffering. Things are hard. Somebody's mistreating us. We sometimes question, God, are you listening do you know what I'm asking you? And then probably more, we question his timing. God, I'm hurting right now. I really need your help now. And we think maybe from time to time, I don't know if we would say this out loud, but I think we, we sometimes think, you know, I could have planned this, this timing a little better. But as we're looking into the Bible, we can be assured that God is not leaving anything out. I mean, he's controlling the whole world situation. And he's making it all come out just right at the exact time it needs to come out.
And sometimes that means we suffer. But in the end, his enemies will suffer. And that's why we have to be in God's word. Because you see, this morning we're looking at things right here that could help us understand the way that God works. And if we just go off of circumstances and the way we feel, we're going we're gonna, to you know, stray from the way God does things and we're going to be wondering why. Why does he do it that way? Does he really love me? Does he really know? And when we get to know God better through his word, we can understand that God does things in certain ways because he's not just working out our problems. He's working out the world's problems and he's bringing it bringing us to this eternal kingdom that we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. We'd rather have that than the comfort we prayed for that we didn't get. And now I'd like us to look at a description of these locusts. And here again, this shows us how much we don't know about all that God has made. Look at verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. Now, these are the ones attacking the unbelievers. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth was like, were like lion's teeth. Are you imagining that? They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings, their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing to battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions. And in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them. So they're not just running pill-mill, you know. <clears throat> they're organized. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, the underground you know, home of demons and, and evil, His, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. Can you imagine seeing one of these creatures? I'm just thinking of those people who were getting, who God was going after, and that, that's, that's what's going to be in the future. I mean, just seeing them would, would scare you to death. Lion's teeth, body armor, wings that sound like thundering horses, chariots rushing into battle, five months of this. And they weren't just wild beasts running amok. They were organized. They had even an extra advantage. They had strategy. How great it will be to belong to Christ when you think of this. How great it will be to be on Christ's side. All this stuff happens. Even if we have to suffer as a Christian. Suffering is never pleasant. But boy, if you had to choose which suffering you're going to take. And suffering is actually a part of God's plan for his people. In some way, we all suffer. Some suffer ultimately and some, some suffer much more than we have. But suffering is just a part of the Christian life. And now, let's look at the last trumpet that we're going to look at, the sixth trumpet. We won't be looking at the seventh this morning. 
It says, the first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. This is God's end time judgment. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. And that just means you couldn't count them. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. Not a pleasant sight. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. See that? That's how set they were in their ways, even though they saw the power of God. Still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Can you believe that? It's interesting that these unbelievers who are being attacked and some even killed, they still refuse to repent. And it even says here, they did not stop worshiping demons. And these demons were attacking them. And then, of course, you know, the idols, wood and silver. Here they are being attacked by some demonic creature. And even that experience did not make them want to stop worshiping demons of some sort. That's how entrenched they were in their ways. And they continued to even worship lifeless idols made of gold, silver, bronze, and stone when the true God was acting out at them and they wouldn't even turn to him. They wouldn't even repent. It says they wouldn't repent of their murders, their magic arts, or sexual immorality. I think this shows us how careful we must be to stay in close contact with God. I mean, how could people get to that point to where everything was, was falling apart, everything was crashing down on them, and they still wouldn't turn to God? But you know, the way it works is that we wander away from God one step at a time. Usually we don't just jump from loving God and just just jump clean out of the boat and say, I don't love him anymore. 
usually we're drawn away by something. Or we're into something that's just drawing us away. Now, we've probably all known people who seem to be close to God, and all of a sudden, one day, we find out they're not anymore. And, you know, Laura and I get calls from friends whose children grew up loving God, but now they just walk, walking in a whole different pathway. And, you know, our culture is so alluring. There are so many things and people out there that want us to go in another direction. And it's so enticing because our culture is so wealthy. And as weak human beings, we have to keep ourselves spiritually attuned. And we have to be in the Word of God, seeing things that we just don't know automatically or innately. We have to be in the Word. And it's amazing to see people drift away that you never thought would. So let's stay spiritually focused. Let's keep allowing God's Word to influence us daily. Let's guard against becoming self-sufficient outside of God. Let's keep encouraging each other you know, as we go through life, to keep pointing each other to God. And if something happens that goes against what we think should have happened, we have to keep our trust in God. We can't walk away because He has a bigger plan. And we can't see most of that plan. And so I want to end with these two verses from Second Peter. Well, I missed this verse. Nor did they repent of their murders, the magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. But here's, here's our two verses from Second Peter. <clears throat> he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Make every effort to be solid in your faith. Confirm your faith. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because one day, there will be that 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And when that day comes, we want to be fully prepared. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book of Revelation Let's us peek into the future. And we thank you for the warnings it gives us so that we can make sure that we do not allow ourselves to wander just kind of mindlessly. Help us to keep our minds upon you. Help us to be in your word. Help us to hang on to you during hard times and to trust you through them knowing that you know all things and you do everything right. Thank you for taking care of us, for sending Christ to die for us. And Lord, we pray your blessing upon our lives as we try to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.